Maybe you're one of those people that hears the name of Jesus or you look at, into his face, as it were, and great hope springs up into your heart. Your case is hopeless, but hope springs up in your heart that if anyone's going to be able to do something, it's going to be Jesus. Or maybe you're one of the people that when you see that it seems God's blessing has fallen on somebody that doesn't really deserve it, you get jealous and hatred wells up in your heart towards God or the things of God. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre and Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you have missed the radio program, then I would just ask you to look uh, for your on your favorite podcasting platform for God's Resistance. You'll find that on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube every Sunday at 9 a.m., and you'll find other content or previous content on there as well. Uh, you can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, YouTube, and you can spell it God's Resistance as G-O-D-S-R-E-S-T-A-N-C-E. When you go to our social media accounts, make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content and that you're just going to keep abreast of what we are doing. Um, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. You'll also be able to meet us in person uh, down in the public square in Wilkes-Barre, weather permitting, at 11 a.m. every Sunday. And we hope to see you there. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We've been going through a series of Encounters with Christ. People that have met Christ face to face, people that have had encounters, and some of them have been favorable towards the person, some of them have not been so favorable towards the person. But what we're interested in finding out is what happens when people come face to face with Christ. And in our day, maybe we won't become face to face with him because he's ascended into heaven, but in the spirit. You and I may be confronted with Jesus at some point in our lives. We've had um, many different experiences watching that happen with others, whether it be on the street, whether it be inside someone's home or in our home. We have seen that and we've experienced the encounter with Christ ourselves. This uh, morning, we're going to be looking at an encounter that Jesus had with a man who is paralyzed. He was called a paralytic. Um, you find this account, uh, three different Gospels, Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. I'm going to be reading from a version of the Bible. I'm, well, it's a, it's a man who used the ESV version of the Bible and synthesized these three chapters together, uh, The Ministry of Jesus by R.D. Myers. And that just helps us to get a full picture of that account as the three separate Gospels write of it. So we're just going to start right off by reading it. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
on one of those days as he's, he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And behold, four men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes and Pharisees were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you think evil and question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them all and picked up his bed he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men, saying, We never saw anything like this. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I would say, if that happened in our present day in front of our very eyes, I think that we would be saying we are seeing something quite extraordinary happening to us right now, today. So let's just back this up and walk our way through what has taken place here. Jesus had left Capernaum for some period of time, and he came back into the place. Now, Capernaum was where Peter Uh, lived, and oftentimes we read in the Bible that Jesus seems to have been staying at Peter's home when they came to Capernaum. So this was a somewhat familiar town for him to be in. Not only was it familiar uh, on Jesus' perspective and his disciples, but it was familiar from the people that lived in the town. When he came back, there's Jesus again. Here's the man we've been hearing about all over the place. He's staying in our city, and you can imagine what kind of a buzz uh, was happening solely because he entered back into this city. Now, after he came in, people are are talking to each other. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. And no doubt they came to, I, I don't know, maybe it was Peter's house. They come to some house where Jesus is and they're flooding the area. So the, the place in front of the house, out on the street, the, door, the front doors open and that's even people are crowded around there. They're looking in through windows. There's no doubt some people that are in the house, but then the house couldn't fit as many people as were coming. But that didn't stop people from coming. They just kept on coming and coming and coming. And on one of these days when Jesus is there in Capernaum, we're told, he was teaching. Now, whenever he was teaching, you can usually find the Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, those that were the religious elites, those that you know knew the Bible, so to speak, they were there listening to him as well. And it wasn't a small number. We're told that they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So they had traveled either, say, by donkey, horseback, or on foot, a significant amount of miles 
to come and hear Jesus teach. Why? We dealt with this a little while ago when we were talking about Encounters with Christ, and it's evaded me at this moment as to which particular episode that we dealt with that, but that Jesus spoke in such a way to the common people where they realized he had authority, and the scribes and Pharisees, it was different with them. They didn't speak with the authority he had. So he spoke on the people's level. He spoke to them, not above them. And he had an authority and a power that people recognized was from God. So they flocked to come hear him wherever they can find him. And it says that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Now, the power of healing is always um, something Jesus could do. However, it seems to be that what's being said here is God knew ahead of time there was going to be a certain incident that was taking place here, and the remarkable power of the healing of God was present there for this certain reason. And we read about it. It's this paralytic man. But the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So it was evident. It wasn't something hidden in a corner. It wasn't like he said, come and see my healing ministry. People knew that when he spoke certain words, and those were just simple words of healing, be healed, that it happened. It happened before their eyes. It, it wasn't a lot of this quackery that we find in our present day with the likes of people like, say, Benny Hinn or some people that call themselves special prophets and they're going to do this healing ministry and come to find out the great majority of them uh, are just in it for the money or for the fame or whatever else they're gathering from it. And they don't really have the true power of God. And sometimes people are given over to the devil and the power of the devil is used through them to do miracles. But we're told here, it was the power of the Lord with Jesus to heal. And there he was teaching, but also through his teaching, people flocking to it that had a need to be healed. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, as I said before, not even at the door. So I don't know how well his voice would have traveled outside of the house that he was staying in, but there was enough people that were around there, you couldn't even get to the door of this place. And it says he was preaching the word to them. Now, this is so simple and yet so profound. Why weren't these people flocking to synagogues before? Why weren't they trying to seek out the word of the Lord before? I think it's probably because the way that the Pharisees said it, they set themselves up above the rest of the people, almost to the the point of people thinking, there's no way I can even be like what they're saying. It's impossible. I can't do that. So they didn't even try and they were discouraged before they start. Also, it could be, according to some of the things that we've already read in previous episodes, that the Pharisees were just kind of dry and dead. They didn't really know uh, God very intimately. There may have been exceptions to that. We think of that Nicodemus seemed to have a more spiritual sense, and maybe Gamaliel's another man that was mentioned. But for the most part, it seemed to be that these people were so void of the Spirit of God, and the people around them were hungry. I've heard so many people say things like this. Well, people just don't want God anymore. They, they just don't want God. They don't want to go this way anymore. They just want to, you know, live in their sins and keep going. I don't believe that for a second. I've been out on the streets in Wilkes-Barre. I've been out uh, in Detroit. I've been out in other areas. Once you start preaching the word, and I'm not saying this for any other reason except by illustration, 
if we are aligning ourselves with the word of God and speaking his word, and we've been seeking his face, and he anoints our words with his own power, then people recognize this is God's word. This isn't just some guy that's out on the street just saying whatever he thinks. This is God's word. And these people realize that about Jesus. You know, a lot of people may not step foot inside of a church building because it's so void of the Spirit of God. It's so, um, well, sometimes it's more just like lectures. You're, you're coming to hear a man who went to seminary for so long give you his real, real intellectual opinion on the scriptures, and yet it's void of spiritual life. Sometimes God has used some of the most illiterate, poor people to be the most effective in spreading the gospel. One of those, I think, is D.L. Moody. The guy was having so much trouble reading that what he would do is he'd, he'd buy bunches of Bibles and he would cut out the portions of Bible, uh, the, the things that he wanted to use in a message and pictures and things out of newspapers or magazines or whatever. He would, he would take that all out and he'd glue it on a piece of paper so that he had his sermon notes because he didn't know how to write well. But God used that man to get, lead hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus. And so here is this simple carpenter, this peasant, Jesus. There he is preaching, and there are many there to listen, and many of the scribes and Pharisees there to hear as well. And while he's preaching, where there was no room for anyone to get in the door, four men, they're bringing a guy on a bed. He was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus because they knew Jesus had healed other people before. And they're like, this is my friend. Or, or maybe it was just, they just had compassion. They saw a man out in the crowd. Who knows? But they, they, they scoop him up and they're trying to bring him to Jesus, but they can't even get there because there's not even room to enter the door. So they couldn't even get to the crowd that even got to the door. And even if they got there, there was a crowd inside the house. How are they going to get to him? Now, here is uh, where perhaps some of us um, may be separated from those that have faith and those that don't. These four man, men trying to bring this paralyzed guy in there before Jesus, they didn't find any way to bring him there. Sometimes what we find is, well, I tried to make advances toward God. I tried to pray. I tried to seek his face. It didn't work. And so what do we do? We give up. And it's, it's terrible that that sometimes is what happens and that's what it comes down to, but we may just feel like we're giving up now. You know, it's no use. He's not, he's not answering. Uh, I can't get anywhere with this right now. What am I supposed to do? Uh, so I guess it's just not God's will. I've heard those kind of things said. Well, God's will is explicitly stated inside of his word, and it's up to you and I to find out what his will is. And when we know his will, he's faithful. He's going to come through on his will, and we just have to lay that claim before him. So here we find these four men coming up to the door. Did they act like that? Did they say, we can't get in, there's no use, let's just turn around? Or did they do something else? In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782.
Well, as we read this account, we find these four men, they weren't discouraged. They didn't turn around and say, well, there's no way for us to get in there. Their faith in the power of Jesus to heal this paralyzed man was so great that they said, well, let's look for another way then. Let's figure it out. So we're told that what they did was because of the crowd, they went up on the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, so the way that the roofs were constructed, they could pull back things that would have been somewhat akin to um, shingle or whatever it might be, just ripping it apart so they could get in to the place. So they open a hole in the ceiling. How would you like that to happen at your house? Anyways, it did happen. And they let the man down through the opening, still in his bed, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus in that inner circle where Jesus was standing. Now, we don't see Jesus upset with this these group of men. We don't see him saying, how dare you rip this hole inside of this man's roof? How dare you interrupt me in my, my preaching and, and teaching and speaking? You know, just get in line. Then you can do that. You, oh, you didn't pay to get into this event today. Uh, some of those things happen in our present day. It's ridiculous. We don't find that, though. Jesus saw, I, I wonder, Jesus probably saw those people out in the crowd before and thought, he just who he was and who he is, God, he, he probably just was waiting for that time to come. And so they lower this man down right there before Jesus. And it, this is what it says. When Jesus saw their faith. That is something else. So this encounter with Jesus, these four men and this paralytic, led them to put action to their faith. So many times people say that they have faith in God, but there's no action that shows what that is. The whole book of James is an account on that. He said, you show me your faith without your works, and I'm going to show you my faith by my works, because by our works, we are saying, I believe. By the things that I do, I am taking those concrete steps forward saying, I so believe God that he's going to come through that I'm acting in accordance to what I believe. And so it is with everything else in life. We act in accordance to what we believe. And yet when it comes to the place of faith, we think that somehow it's a little bit different. Somehow, somehow it's got to be maybe a little bit more mystic. And so Jesus, however, saw these men faith. Now, it didn't say that he saw it when they were out there in the crowd. But when they would not be denied because they knew they had the need there for their friend and they knew that Jesus was the one that had the answer and the power to take care of the need, they just said, against odds, against setbacks, we are going to get him in there because we believe Jesus can heal our friend or heal this man that we have picked up, this paralytic. And so Jesus literally saw their faith. Listener, does God see your faith? Do you give up too easy? When perhaps you feel like God has kindled faith in your heart for something that's going on in your life, and I'm not just saying God's kindled faith in your heart so you can get a million dollars, perish the thought. I mean, unless this million dollars is for some kind of work for the kingdom of God. God, we're not asking God for frivolous, ridiculous things. We're asking God to do the things he's promised to do inside of his word. We're not asking God so that we can just have prosperity. 
We're asking God so that we can be right, so that we can extend the borders of his kingdom, so that we can be his children, and that through us he can bear much fruit. That's what we're asking for. But dear listener, are you the kind of person that, you know, you feel like you get a, a glimpse or a vision of what God is wanting to do, and you try to take steps in that direction, and it seems like you come up against a little bit of a hindrance, maybe a little wall, and then you think, guess it's not God's will, and then you back up? Or are you like these people that say, "Uh uh-uh, I believe in God, I believe in what he said inside of his word, I have seen him do these things in the past, and I must get to Jesus, he must do this thing for me. That's a challenge to all of us, right? We should have that kind of a mentality when we are looking inside of God's word and when we're trying to apply it to that which is without, that we see with our eyes. We want to say, I need to get to Jesus. He needs to do this thing for me. When he saw their faith, does Jesus see your faith? When he saw their faith, this is what Jesus said. Take heart, my son. Now he's talking to the paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven. What? What's he talking about? This man is paralyzed. Why is Jesus saying, take heart, my son? Your sins are forgiven. Well, it could very much be that Jesus, knowing the hearts of people, just understood that this is what's going on in this man's life. Now, we know that this doesn't mean that sin, well, I guess I could say that sin in general is always the cause and effect of sickness and just the degenerate state of existence in earth where things fall apart, we get old, our health fails, all that kind of stuff. That is the general effect of sin. But we know that Jesus said it's not always the personal effect of sin, where there was a man who was born blind and his disciples asked him and said, Jesus, which one of their parents sinned that made this man born blind? And Jesus said, that's not how this works. That's not what's going on. So we can't just say that this paralyzed man is paralyzed because of sin in his life. He very well could be, but it may also be he was just paralyzed. But nevertheless, Jesus says to the guy, Take heart, take courage, cheer up. My son, he says, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes and the Pharisees were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I wonder if Jesus, not only was he saying it to this paralyzed man, your sins be forgiven you, that man had need that his sins be forgiven. But it's as if Jesus was saying this too because he knew those religious leaders there. He knew their wicked hearts and their jealousy over him because people were starting to listen to him more than they were listening to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all. They were no doubt very upset with him because he was taking away their livelihood, taking away their prestige, their power, their their place in society. And all these people are flocking to the lowly Jesus. But they say, The scribes and Pharisees, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that was the very point Jesus was trying to make. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is God. That is what the points that he's been trying to make to them. They would have known that too. That's not something that they are surprised about. That's something that they would have known from the Old Testament. They would have been taught that in the synagogues that the Messiah was God, or is God. And so here they are, 
seeing all this, and who can do this but God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's the thing. Jesus is stepping in, and there's these two opposing sides of this encounter here. We find that paralyzed man with all meekness and wanting God and needing help. He steps, uh, he gets brought into there. He's grateful to have his sins forgiven. He's already got, he's already down at the low end of the, the dregs of society. He's got the, the low end of his life here. He's thankful for these words that have been spoken to him. But then the Pharisees, they're jealous. Who can do this but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, obviously they were kind of probably murmuring back and forth to one another or thoughts that we, we see from what it says here that they just had inside their hearts. And Jesus picked up on all this and knew what was going on. Jesus, perceiving that, they questioned that within themselves, said to them, why do you think evil and question these things in your hearts? So now they had a problem with Jesus, but Jesus turns around and says, you religious leaders that think you're better than everyone else, I've got a question for you. Why do you think evil in your heart? And they're probably thinking, oh no, there's no evil in our hearts. You're doing evil. You're blaspheming the name of God. But Jesus turns around and says, no, there's evil in your heart. There's a motive in your heart that's not quite right. And he says, what is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now let's just think about that for a second. Isn't it far easier for any one of us to just say to somebody, I forgive you, your sins are forgiven? Or do you think it's easier to have some notable miracle take place where a man who'd been paralyzed for a number of years is suddenly made whole that he can stand on his own two feet? Well, it's a rhetorical question, and obviously we know that it's so much harder to heal somebody of uh, a paralytic. Well, he says, your sins are forgiving you, or to say, rise up up and take up your bed and walk. But then he says to the people, but, in spite of those difficulties, which everyone knew from that rhetorical question, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, power, on earth to forgive sins. He's saying, now I'm going to prove to you that I can do both. Then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them all and picked up his bed that he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. So here we find this difficulty is kind of just laid out before these religious elites, these people that were there uh, trying to pick apart what Jesus was doing, trying to shut it all down. And yet Jesus says, you tell me what's easier, and then proves that the Son of Man, and the Son of Man was a title in the book of Daniel and other prophetical areas, speaking about God in the flesh, the the Messiah. So he's taking that title onto himself, which is making these religious leaders so angry and so mad at him that How could he say this? He's not this person. He doesn't fit our idea of who he should be. And so Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven you and I'm healing you from this paralyzing problem that you've had for a number of years. And he stands up immediately on the words of Jesus Christ and is healed in a moment and in an instant. So here we see God rewarding the faith of these four men and even the paralytic man. And then he gets the benefit from this encounter with Jesus. We see that on the negative aspect, these religious leaders get no benefit whatsoever because their heart is wicked and because they're jealous of him and his influence and power uh, that they themselves do not have. 
This man goes away glorifying God. They're disgruntled and trying to find ways to kill him. But meanwhile, the entire crowd that's around that area says, we've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. And then everyone's glorifying God. And everybody's saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. So dear listener, who are you on this end of the spectrum? So you can be the person that has faith and won't give up and knows God's going to come through because you believe him, you see it, and you're going to move forward. You can be the person that sits off to the sidelines and just criticizes the lowly ways of Jesus, whether it be directly from his spirit or whether it be through his people. But the thing is, the person that has faith and that comes to him and won't take no for an answer, they're going to be rewarded. And then people are going to glorify God because of what happens in light of all of that. Dear listener, be amongst the crowd of those four men. Be amongst the crowd of people that stand up with awe because of the things that they saw and give glory to God. But don't be amongst those that criticize, that nag and pick apart the workings of God and then make trouble to your own soul. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. We can set up a time to meet. I want you to like and follow us on our social media, Facebook, Gab, YouTube. Tell your friends about our social media and this broadcast every Sunday. But above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.